0: Happy Mother's Day to all, happy Mother's Day, what a great day to celebrate uh, mothers and women in our lives and um, a little bit later in the service we'll watch a little clip and, and we'll uh, celebrate our mothers together as we close out this afternoon. This morning, but um, today we're in Acts chapter sixteen. Uh, if you've been with us for some time, uh, we've been tracking through the book of Acts and looking at the story of the church uh, beginning in the first century. The Holy Spirit at work, uh, incredible things happening. The church thriving in Jerusalem amongst the Israelite people, and um, and and now we're beginning to see uh, the church expanding beyond the walls of Jerusalem um, and beyond the Israelite people, and uh, so. On Paul's first missionary journey, um, Paul and and others that were out sharing the good news of Jesus and his resurrection with people, well, they they started to realize that people from other nations that lived in Israel were becoming interested and 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 saying, Hey, why shouldn't I be baptized? Why shouldn't I become a follower of Jesus? And that that threw the church in into some a season of turmoil and struggle, what do we do with these other people that want to be a part of the church. And uh, so last week, if you were here with us in Acts chapter 15, um, the, the church leaders came together in Jerusalem to ask the question, what do we do with these Gentiles? What do we do with these foreigners that want to follow Jesus? And they came to the conclusion, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. We see God at work, uh, the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of these people, and Gentiles will be accepted as Gentiles. And so we, we had this uh, just reminder last week as, as we looked at this text that, um, you know, often a, as a part of a church, we think of us versus them. But in this story, we are them. We are the outsiders accepted uh, as followers of Jesus as we are and as we were by the grace of God. And it's a beautiful, beautiful, hopeful thing. And it reminds us of our invitation to the world around us, that as you are, you are invited to come. Put your hope in Jesus and, and find new life, right? So, so this week, uh, we begin in, in, in chapter 16 of Acts as Paul and Silas, one of his other, uh, another first century disciple head out on the, on what's called Paul's second missionary journey, okay? And so we're gonna look today at the idea of sharing faith. What is it like to share faith, right? To, to, to share your testimony with someone. And I don't know what, what are you most afraid of in life? Is it, is it spiders or snakes? Uh, uh or is it sharing faith? If you have followed Jesus for long, um, you know the anxiety involved in, in being on the spot and like, I feel like I ought to say someone to this person. I mean, if if we were to take a poll of people that have been followers of Jesus for 15 years or more, how many times have you shared your faith with someone other than a family member? Let's be honest. The number is going to be really really low. This is intimidating and foreign stuff. We are called way outside our comfort zones. So my plan today is just really lay the guilt on so heavy that you feel forced to share your faith. No, of course that's not the goal, right? Of course that's not the goal. We're going to look though today at the story of... Um, of Paul and Silas as they head out on these missionary journeys and the experiences they have with three different characters here in Acts chapter 16. Before I go there, um, some of you have been involved in, in young life, right? And Young Life, incredible organization, um, doing really good stuff in our community. Young Life operates in our schools, our middle schools and high schools here in the Tri-Cities. And uh, and they go in with the purpose of sharing Jesus with people, right? Sharing good news of Jesus. And, and I'll kind of work backwards through the process. Ultimately, the goal in Young Life is to get kids to camp. Uh, they call it camping, but it's actually at Malibu, the most beautiful retreat uh, location you'll ever see on earth. But camping is kind of the crux of it. See, at camp after uh, what will be, it's like guaranteed to be the best week of your life, uh, late in the week, after a great concert and having heard an incredible speakers, uh, the person, the friend that invited you, or one of the leaders, you know, standing out on, on the deck looking out over, you know, the stars in the most beautiful landscape on earth, you get to ask that question, so what are you thinking about all this, right? And people get to... People get to realize, I have been searching for something in so many directions, and I realize that in Jesus, I can find what I've always wanted, right? It's this beautiful moment and experience in people's lives. But you take it a step back, and, and each week, uh, Young Life has this party with a purpose, and uh, and Monday night or whatever night it is, you get together, you play a lot of silly games, have a lot of fun with your friends. And at the end of the night, uh, one of the leaders gets up for about 10 minutes and shares kind of their testimony or a message about Jesus. So it's a, it's a party, it's a lot of fun, but it has its purpose. Now some kids take it a step further and they, they go to a weekly Bible study that Young Life hosts. Okay, I tell you all that about Young Life to back up to the first step. Um, for a couple of years, I volunteered with Young Life, and as a leader in Young Life, you are to do contact work, okay? And contact work means uh, an old guy with no purpose for being in a school walks into a school, and your job is to just start conversations with high school students, And let me tell you, there is no one on earth more intimidating than high school students. I don't know. Am I wrong about that? Maybe I'm just a wuss. I I know I am. But um, maybe there's some truth to it as well. Um, It is the most intimidating thing on earth. You got no purpose. You're not sharing Jesus with them. You're just trying to engage in conversations and invite them to a Monday night party, right? Uh, But it is the most challenging thing on earth. You see, sharing faith, uh, engaging intentionally in the lives of people is always Difficult. It's always difficult. Let's read about their story. We're in Acts chapter sixteen. We'll be we'll begin in verse thirteen here. So um uh Paul and, and, and Silas are in Philippi. It's a Roman colony, it's modern day Greece, and uh and they have arrived in this area and it says in verse thirteen on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. Okay. Just real briefly before we, we read the, the story. Um, it, it, it was a practice of, um, of Paul to always enter the synagogue on the Sabbath. That's kind of, that was their churches. That's where they would gather. There was conversation and debate and someone, someone would get up and share a message with people. Well, the fact that Paul is not at the synagogue on Sabbath means that there wasn't one in the town okay and so paul on paul and silas on the sabbath um uh, the the way a sabbath a synagogue would be established is 10 men uh that are that are god-fearing men uh, had to come together and say we will begin a synagogue so what we learn about the town here is that there were not 10 god-fearing men but as is always the case when the men aren't stepping up to the plate You can be pretty sure the women are. So they go to the next place. They go to where they know people will be gathered. They walk outside town, they go to the river, and they find the women that are having their prayer group. Okay, So here we are, verse 14. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer of purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. Okay, so their first encounter here in this, this city that they record, it's Sabbath, there's no synagogue to go to, we have no platform, but they walk outside town to find, hopefully, some people that, 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 that know God or, or that want to know more about God. And they come across this woman named Lydia. And God is good on this day to them, right? Very good. They come across a woman who not only is intrigued and wants to hear more about Jesus, um, but Lydia is a rock star in this community, okay? She is wealthy. Um, she is well-known. She's, she's from another nation, and she's a dealer of purple cloth. This is the highest end um, uh, business owner in the community. You see, Lydia is someone that people really look up to. So they have stumbled across, in their first experience here in, in Philippi, they have stumbled across a wealthy, powerful, capable woman who wants to know more, who says, come and stay in my home. Now, just imagine if all of our faith-sharing experiences were that easy. Right, We walk up, and it's influential people that want to know more of Jesus and want to partner in the mission of God. Wouldn't that be incredible? And yet, that is so rarely the occasion. So the story continues in verse 16. One day as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Paul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Paul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Okay, this might be a little bit more like the tensions and the struggles that we more often would experience. They come across this slave girl, and she has a spirit and the ability to tell the future. Now, her owners, the masters of the slave girl, well, they're cashing in on this. Not only is she oppressed by a spirit, but she's exploited by the people around her. What's fascinating is you'll, you'll notice, and I won't spend too much time on this, but as, as she is freed from this oppression, notice it's the people that are closest to her in her life that are upset by it that that want to maintain that level of oppression. And I think that's a, a, a relatively common story. I mean, how many times have you had a friend or, or a family member or a loved one, someone you're working with, that, that wants so desperately new life, but the people closest to them continue pulling them back in? And so we read here the story of Paul and Silas offering freedom and liberty and new life to this young lady who for years has been oppressed and and uh the subject of uh the will of her masters freed from this demon and the response is that they'll be thrown into prison right so uh, Paul, I, I think one, one thing we ought to point out here, Paul, when he encounters this this gal uh, he doesn 't lovingly and caringly say hey let 's help you out of this situation." Paul actually gets annoyed, which uh, doesn 't speak terribly highly, right, of of um, of him as the evangelist in this moment, right? He doesn't deal terribly tactfully with the situation. It's interesting, though, to see that there will be positive gain and result in the end from his action. I think we see, we catch a glimpse here, and we'll continue to see that as we finish the story, um, that God is at work in this moment, that, that Paul's interactions and, and the things he's doing have so far not been the hero of the day. But in fact, God is at work in a powerful way in the lives of these people and in the efforts of Paul and Silas. So let's continue. Um, we're going to skip ahead a little bit to verse 27, but here's what happens. Uh, they're dragged into the marketplace and brought before the authorities. Um, they are beaten, they're humiliated, and they're thrown into a prison. And the prison systems in Roman cities were not pleasant. There was not three square meals a day. In fact, it says that they were chained to the center post in uh, the prison. And from the descriptions that I've heard and and from what I understand about this, they were placed in the very worst place they could be in that prison. Uh, There was no sewage or flushing toilets in these facilities, but everything flowed to the center and drained from there. And and so they were placed in the very worst, Worst place, uh, sitting in filth, having just been beaten, their bodies torn open uh, by, by rods, they're now sitting in the center of this jail facility. You can imagine their anger, their bitterness, their frustration as they face such unjust results uh, of following God's calling and sharing with people good news and liberating those that are, that are in hurting positions. You can imagine how furious they must be. And, and yet it says this in verse 25. I don't think I pulled it up. Um, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. When do you sing? You sing when you're happy, right? It, like, you always know mom or dad's having a good day when, as a kid, you walk in to the to the kitchen before dinner and they're singing while they're cooking dinner or something, right? You sing when you're happy. So something fascinating is happening in the lives of Paul and Silas as they sit beaten uh, unjustly in the filth of this prison. They sit there singing and, and and praying to God. And it says that the other prisoners are listening to them, curious about what could be happening. So a violent earthquake comes, and uh, and the chains fall off of all the prisoners, and the door is open. Verse 27, when the jailer woke up, and he saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword out and was about to kill himself, since he supposed the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them outside, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house at the same hour of the night. He took them, and he washed their wounds. Then he said, uh, then he and his entire family was baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house, and he set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. All right. So we're in our third character. Uh Paul and Silas go into town and and immediately meet up with this gal, Lydia. It's, you know, just... A godsend, a wealthy, capable person is supporting the mission work happening in this town. Shortly after, they meet a slave girl, and they just get angry and kind of retaliate, right? And it lands them in prison. They find themselves there in the filth, but still hopeful in what God is doing. We learn something really important about the character of followers of Jesus and the posture with which we share faith uh, in the story of Paul and Silas here as we realize that even in the darkest of moments, they keep their eyes fixed on and trusting in a God who is faithful in these circumstances. Right, so uh, the 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 chains are loosed and the doors are open and the jailer uh, knows that his life will be taken uh, for having lost his prisoners. So, about to take his own life, they call out, "We're all still here." And, and you watch how the the story flips from a jailer who was completely insensitive or uncaring about the circumstances of these prisoners, Uh, probably completely unaware of why they had been thrown into jail. He knows they've been beaten. He puts them in the worst place in the jail, right? Completely uninterested in their well-being, their story, or what is happening. In this moment, catches a glimpse of of grace, of of mercy, of of hope When, when he thought his life was over. He realizes that maybe it's not. You see, they had stayed behind because there was still opportunity in this moment, beaten and, and sitting in the filth. They knew that God was still at work in the story. And, uh, and so the, the jailer, having realized, you know, turned from indifference to fascination. Who are these people? And why are they here? And what is their story? Asks the question, right? He says, What must I do to be saved? And it's as simple in the story, and I love the simplicity, and I want us to cling to this sort of simplicity when we consider faith. It says, it says, believe in the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved. I love the I love the simplicity in that, right? Would you put your hope in Jesus? You see, because that doesn't begin to describe the fullness of the journey, right? It's going to go on to say that they're baptized. This man's life is transformed. Can you imagine what it looks like to be a Roman jailer as a follower of Jesus? I don't know. So much is left to happen in this man's story, but I, I find beauty in the simplicity. Will you believe in Jesus? Will you put your hope in him? And then so much more plays out. Right? So much more happens in the lives of these people. So the man puts his hope in Jesus, and he comes to be a follower, a believer of God. Paul and Silas, in our, in our text today, come across three people. One of incredible fortunate circumstances, one who was oppressed, whom they fought for. Right? They, they end up beaten and thrown in jail because they were going to liberate this girl. And granted, they were also frustrated by her but uh, she was liberated right okay and uh, and then a third a jailer the last person on earth you'd expect to find hope in jesus right the the man who was their oppressor who comes to know jesus and so i want to ask us today what does it look like to share faith in in our lives and today Now, typically I would, I would say a couple things. Um, there's a, there's a passage in the New Testament that says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you found. And and so it says, we, we should be prepared to share with someone what Jesus has done in my life and, and why I'm a follower of Jesus. It it says, think through it because words matter. But we saw demonstrated in the story that it wasn't always words that, that made the most powerful impact the jailer didn't ask them because of some clearly articulated you know explanation of the gospel no the jailer asked because of the experience he had with these men and, and God's work in his life. So, yes, we, we need to be prepared to share an answer, uh, when it comes to, to sharing faith, but we also need to demonstrate the answer in the ways we live. That when, when times are difficult, that we are those people that, that, that people are looking at like, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Why would you be rejoicing in the middle of such circumstances? You see, that life can demonstrate Far more sometimes than the clearly articulated words that we have prepared. So yes, be prepared to give an answer, but live out that answer as well. It invites the question of people. What is different? How can I have more of that? And then when it comes to sharing faith, I'd always, I'd always challenge that our best tool in sharing our faith is our own personal experience and story. Um, so, so practice telling your story. What has God done in your life? If you want something really simple to share faith, tell about your life before you knew Jesus. Tell about how you came to know him and tell about what's different because you know Jesus. A simple way to share your testimony with people and say, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And there's a lot of fascinating things we can debate about theology and historicity and the accuracy of the Bible and all these things. But ultimately, friends, I think one of the most powerful tools we have it's just our experience. I'm a different person because I know Jesus. And we ought to lean on that. That ought to be a part of our, of our daily conversations and the way we, we share with people um, the experiences of our life, that we are inviting God into those stories and those conversations. Jesus is doing a powerful work in my life, and I'm thankful for it, Right? But finally I want to I want to look at this text and allow this text to speak into this conversation of how do we share faith? Have you know be able to give an answer for your hope? Be able to tell your story to people about how Jesus has changed you. Uh live a life that demonstrates it. But in this text um we uh we see one other incredibly important piece of sharing faith. It's this. Be present and engage in the moment. You see Paul and Silas are not the heroes of this story in any way, shape, or form. By the grace of God, they run into Lydia. Uh, by the grace of God, they land in prison. Doesn't sound very gracious or good, but by the grace of God, miraculous things happen that people begin to come to know about him in this community, the most unexpected people. You see, the hero of the story is God, and Paul and Silas's uh, story and, and peace in the process is simply to show up, and engage in the moment because God is at work. And it's a beautiful invitation. You know, the obligation is not ours. Instead, the opportunity is that we participate in what God is accomplishing? There's this passage. Jesus tells a parable, and you know that he lived in a farming community. It made a lot of sense. He might have told this parable of of the uh, um, farmer sowing his seed. He might have told this while walking between cities, uh, and, and people are listening as he tells these parables. And he's walking by a field, and he says, "The kingdom of God is like a farmer sowing his seed, and some falls on good path, and some on on bad, and some grows up, and some is choked out by weeds." And he's he's saying. The important task is that we spread the seed. We're not responsible for its growth. God is doing a powerful work in the lives of people to hear and to accept the good news, but it is our obligation to show up and to be present in those moments and to see God do powerful things in us and through us. So friends, I want to invite us to this in the week to come. Will we show up and be present? Like in our workplace, Will I show up and will I watch for, for where God is at work and engage where he is? In my household, will, will I show up and and this is convicting, but not in a distractive way, that distracted way, but like, will I show up and be present with my friends and with my family in conversation and in experience? You know, will I show up and will I be present as I'm checking out at the grocery store? We live such distracted lives, and we could talk so much culturally about our distractions in life, but, but will I be present in that moment when I have two minutes to talk with an absolute stranger? It doesn't mean I'm going to tell them they, they need to be like me and follow Jesus, but I might get to share a little bit of love that might spark something beautiful in, in their lives, right? Because God is at work, and it is our opportunity, our invitation, to show up and be present in the moment. In the week to come, I invite you to this. Will you be there? Will you really be where you are? And will you look for God and partner with him in that moment? Let's pray about that. Father God, we thank you for this time just to look at uh, simple stories of of Paul and Silas, (laughs) but simple stories turn drastic as they make themselves available to you. And Father, I pray that you will help us uh, to be those that show up and are available. Uh, Father, help us to be present in the moments uh, that, that we experience in the week to come. Father, I pray that you will give us courage and wisdom, insight, Father, that we, can, that we can partner in what you are doing in the lives of people around us. Thank you, God, that you are a good God, that you're bringing about good things in our lives and in the lives of others. Father, thank you that we get to participate in that. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, before we go, I want to share one other thing. It is Mother's Day. In many of our lives, like the best demonstration of showing up and being present that we'll ever know is that of our mothers. Is that right? Like like our moms who are there day in and day out. And and sometimes we have the perfect answers and sometimes things go well. Uh rarely in my life was I much of a Lydia for my mom. Usually I was more like the little girl they met next, right? Um but our moms are present, right? They show up and they're present and they have demonstrated us for our lives uh, throughout our lives. What it is. To, to be uh, faithful in the way we live, to try our hardest to share and invest in our children. Moms, thank you. We love you. We've got a little video clip for you.